0: Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer and percussionist from Boston, Toma Fujiwawa. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Toma with us. And yes, percussionist. I'm a little biased being a percussionist myself, but sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Could you tell the people a bit about yourself that we get into it?
1: Yeah, um, my name is Toma Fujiwara. I live in Brooklyn. I'm a percussionist and composer, uh, band leader, collaborator, and... Um,
0: that's that's about it in a nutshell. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for joining us again. And I must say, I was a huge fan of Triple Double, your previous album that came out. Thank you very much. For Alan, that track was sick. I know it was mainly a <laughs> drum solo. I know most people won't be digging that, but yes, percussionist, I felt it, man. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, that that was...
1: um you know, myself and Gerald Cleaver are the, are the drummers on that album. And, um, you know, I just, I love playing with other percussionists and, um, that track, we, we did that track last at the session and, um, we just, we just went into, into the studio and, and just had a conversation on the drums for a while. And, um, initially I thought we would play for a while and I might grab an excerpt or cut it up a little bit, but I just, I just left the whole thing, you know, to me, it has, a, um, a very conversational element to it. And so I didn't want to, you know, edit it and, and take things out. Uh, I just kind of wanted to keep the natural flow, um, and have us, uh, improvise together. So, yeah, that was, that was really, really special. And also, um, you know, I always like to acknowledge, um, the people in my life that have been really meaningful, and so it was um, important to dedicate
0: that piece to my teacher, Alan Dawson. Ah, let's go into that quickly. So, yes, you studied with a legend, Alan Dawson. How did you even get that opportunity?
1: Yeah, it was it was really by by chance. I was studying um, with a. I grew up in the Boston area. And um, I was studying with a great drummer and teacher named Joyce Coffin, and um, I had been studying with her for about two years. And she, you know, I was, I guess, seven years old, and she told my mother, "I'm I'm moving to the West Coast," and so my mother said, "Okay, well, who who should he study with?" You know. Who, who would you recommend? She said, "You know, let me let me see if my teacher will will take him on. He doesn't usually teach such such young children, but um, but maybe he will. So let me let me ask him." And her teacher was Alan Dawson, and so she talked to him, and he said, "Yeah, come in for one lesson, and we'll see. I think, you know, understandably, he didn't want to have to be babysitting." a kid bouncing off the walls or not really focused. Um, but I was, you know, pretty focused and quiet and respectful and, you know, wasn't, wasn't going to give him a hard time. And I, I came in for, for one lesson. He asked me some questions and I played a little bit for him and, and he said, uh, okay, see you next week. And, and that was then eight years with Alan. And, um, you know, I always say, I'm, I'm thankful that when I started, Studying with him, I didn't know who he was, so I couldn't be intimidated by the um, breadth of his work, um, both as a as a musician and as a teacher. Um, so I think that that uh, ignorance, in a way, helped me just kind of go in and and uh, and not be as nervous as if I had, had known. Exactly who I was dealing with. Obviously, I quickly learned that, and that was a great source of of inspiration. And he was just uh, really an incredible teacher and a, a you know beautiful human being and mentor, and obviously you know one of the legends of this music that we love so much.
0: Did he ever talk to you about working with Dave, Bill, Sonny, or anybody? Yeah, he had. You know, he wasn't. Um,
1: I guess. I guess I should say you you had to prompt the, the stories, you know, he didn't just, you know, some people you talk to him and, and you don't say much and, and they launch into these stories about, about their lives. He didn't do that a lot. He was pretty uh, focused on the teaching, you know, for the, for that hour that you were with him, the teaching, the methodology, the techniques um, he had definitely had a system that, that he worked out of that that's, you know, been, that's tried and true and, and, and been proven to be really effective. Um, but you know, when I would ask questions, he certainly would, would, um, would tell me stories. And, you know, this was also a time that I was really learning about the music. So I was still in the stage of just kind of learning about the musicians and the albums and the compositions. So it was more along the lines of, you know, what's the form of, of, this tune or w- which album has a, a version of, you know, pent up house that you, that you like, would recommend. So that it was, it was more along those lines. I do remember when I told him I was graduating from high school and, uh, and he said, Oh, I remember, <laughs> I remember when Tony Williams was your age and he told me he was going on the road with miles. <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that was was always um, okay. really interesting um, and inspiring, you know, because he's just done so much and been around so so many uh, great moments
0: in the music. Well, one question I was curious about, what was special about his system? Because you said he had a, a specific style of system of teaching.
1: Yeah, um, he, you know, he's one of the few people that I've encountered that was both a great uh, musician and artist and also a great teacher. I think it's very challenging and very rare to have that combination. Um, You know, a lot of great teachers or, you know, teachers that are really dedicated to to that craft, but they might not be out in the field as much. Um, And then a lot of musicians making great art, but then when they have to kind of explain it and break it down, that might not be their strength. He really was um, incredible at both. Uh, and so he had developed um, a system, I guess I would kind of, I mean this is an over oversimplification, but I would break it down maybe into kind of four components. Um, he was dealing with the rudiments, um, going through all the rudiments step by step, kind of each one individually and that culminated in in um learning his famous rudimental ritual which was was basically a a drum etude that that uses all the rudiments and and the variations and innovations and um so there was that he did a lot of work with uh the stick control book which involved um really focusing on forms of songs you had to sing a song and know the form while you do the exercises and kind of dealing with, um, kind of more soloistic coordination between all four limbs. Uh, then he dealt a lot with the, the Ted Reed syncopation book. He had dozens of ways to interpret, um, that information and that really dealt with, um, I guess what we would call kind of more time playing and comping and having, you know, coordination facility doing that. Um, and then there was, um, a repertoire element to it. He was a great vibraphone player. And so, um, I would end every lesson playing duo with him on, uh, you know, him on vibes and me on drums. And I would learn about repertoire, form, um, soloing, accompanying, trading, um, you know, and, and all the kind of, um, Technical considerations that, that go along with that. So it was really kind of a, approaching it from from a, a very complete and well rounded um, perspective of being a musician who plays the drums as opposed to just you know playing the drums and being able to get from this drum to that symbol, etc. He really approached it from a musical uh, perspective and an and on and on
0: ensemble perspective too, being well, part that's of a good group because. The amount of people who became his student that What Are the Bigger Better Things is legendary in its own taste from Terry. For sure. Colton, uh as he said, Tony Williams, Andy. I think Steve also, Smith also studied with him. So that's just impressive.
1: Yeah, the list is is ridiculous. <laughs> so many incredible musicians have passed through his his legendary basement studio, um, and I know he means a lot to to so many of us. And I, I just, I just feel so lucky to have spent so much time with him at a, at a young and impressionable age.
0: Okay. Well, back to you for a second. So your newest album or latest album, I should say, March comes out on March fourth. Yep. First of all, what would you consider that? What type of jazz? It's a great question.
1: Um, what would you consider it?
0: <laughs> I'm honestly not sure, but like I said earlier, I'm a little biased when it comes to percussion drumming and jazz albums, because a lot of stuff I see, or I should say see, I understand and hear what they're doing. So I find, ooh, that's cool. How you did that on top of that with another drummer doing that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that. Yeah, helps. I mean,
1: I, I feel, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like... I don't know if it was ever helpful, but I feel like kind of the idea of genre is is becoming less and less relevant as people have more and more kind of diverse tastes and interests, um, which are informing the music. Um, I know for myself, the genre of music has very little to do with um, what music I'm going to explore and listen to and also what music I'm going to make. So we could certainly talk about my background and the background of the other five musicians in tr- triple double and what they bring to that but um you know it's really it's really just a mix of stuff um hopefully kind of filtered through our own you know personal lens and um you know but but also I don't I don't want to discount the innovations and influence of of all of the the great people that that made what most people know um, of as as jazz and jazz music, which is music that I love so much. But there's there's a there's a lot in there.
0: Well, tell the people at least who's on the album, the other artists.
1: Yeah, so this is my group, Triple Double. This is our our second album. Um, so it's myself and Gerald Cleaver on drums. Um, two, so two drums, two guitars. The guitarists are Mary Halverson and Brandon Seabrook, and then two. Um, Brass, uh, Ralph Alessi on trumpet, and Taylor Hobinum on cornet. So I'm kind of, you know, when I put together this group um, and wrote specifically for this group, I was really thinking about the three pairs pairings of instruments, and also the the two kind of mirroring trios, and using those as uh, jump off points to write music for us and and deal with different combinations of. Musicians and and instruments.
0: Okay. And was there any special motive or what were you going for on this album versus the last one? I should say.
1: Hmm. Yeah, good question. I, I think with the f- with the first album, it was a new group, um, so I had this kind of spark of an idea of of these musicians to work with and put it together and wrote some music and um, performed it a handful of times to the recording between the first recording and the second recording, we spent a lot of time playing music together, developing as an ensemble, kind of developing those um, almost telepathic relationships that happen when you have a band for a while and also really dealing with the compositions uh, from the first album. So for March, for the second album that's coming out March, uh, I wrote a bunch of new music and for the most part, I just brought it to the studio for us to, um, deal with fresh and and kind of record those results. So it was, the music was not over-rehearsed in a way. And I really relied on, um, the rapport within the group and the relationships that had that had been formed um, in the previous years as a band, um, and in terms of the compositional pro- process, it's it's oftentimes hard for me to pinpoint specific um, inspirations for pieces. I mean, I kind of know generally what I'm thinking about. I think very visually, so a lot of times I'm thinking about um, writing a soundtrack for a particular mood or a particular experience. But, you know, I don't want it to be that literal that I'm kind of forcing the listener to have the same connection or experience with with the song. I'd like it to be open-ended enough that they can kind of uh, imprint their own impression and their own experiences on the song and make it in a way make it, make it their own and make it their own experience. So that's, that's something that, that kind of happens every time I write. But I would say the big difference is, is just the, um, the history that we had together between the first and second album. And I think you can really hear that, um, in this one, there's a certain, certain looseness and trust that can only happen over time and over shared experiences. Well,
0: okay. So, how does this work more of when you guys actually perform in person? Um, you mean like the compositions and the stuff? Compositions, the setup. Are you guys like arranged in a special way? or you guys visually put the instruments towards each other so you could see each other because right, of right. those type of cues?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's that was definitely a consideration. Um, in in general, with any music, I play. I like to set up as tight as possible so that there's as much of, of an acoustic sound, you know, and less of a a reliance on monitors and, and stuff like that. So try to set up really tight. Um, me and Gerald are right next to each other. We could reach over and play each other's drums if we wanted to, because I think that that, that connection is, is the most important. And then, um, the guitarists are kind of on either side, almost like wings. <laughs> and then the uh the brass are, are right in the middle, kind of just in front of the drums. So we try to set up really tight. Um we've definitely when you when you perform, you you have to be able to know when you're kind of transitioning to another section. So we certainly kind of set certain forms and then have certain cues um it can be challenging kind of from behind the band to to cue so for the most part taylor does a lot of the cueing i kind of tell him what i want and we we i mean i've been playing music with him since we were teenagers so we we have so much history and and such a connection that i can just yep Oh okay Uh, i can just kind of throw him a look and he knows that you know, to kind of do a big cue to cue the band on. So he's really um, valuable to the ensemble in that way. And so then, yes, yeah, some of the stuff is is decided ahead of time and on the page, and other stuff we kind of know who's cueing what, either visually or musically to to move on to something else.
0: Okay.
1: But it, you know, it's a good question. It's it's definitely a consideration. To, um, when you perform live versus in the studio where you can stop or cut or, or, you know, um, you're kind of, hopefully have really good sight lines. Sometimes when you perform, you're looking at someone's back or, so you have to kind of figure out strategies to make that work.
0: Yeah. So just something else that I just thought of at this moment. So what made you come from Boston to New York? Did you get into university down here? I always wanted to be in New York. I've always been
1: drawn to New York. Growing up, reading about the music that I love so much, just hearing about the that all of my heroes or most of my heroes spent at least some time in New York, if not most of their lives, the clubs. Um, so I was always drawn to it as someone that that loved this music and felt that it would be the best place for me to really push me to learn and to improve and to experience and um and that was you know that was the main reason just you know reading reading the liner notes of some blue note album that i loved saying oh they were you know they were in new york and they played at this club and then you know they went to van gelder's studio and recorded that you know there's it's 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 like you're 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 superheroes, you know. No, I get you. <laughs> so you want to you want to go where you want to go where they are and
0: and see for yourself. Well, when you first came here, who was the first person you went to see perform? Do you remember that at least? Mm. Let me think.
1: Let me think. Uh. I don't. I don't know if it wasn't the first. It was very, very early on. But I went to SOBs and saw Eddie Palmieri.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Yes, (laughs) that that (laughs) kind of blew my mind. You know, like, yeah. No, I took a girl on a date there once. One of the few times taking a girl to a, even though he's not really jazz, but to a jazz type show, actually worked. (laughs) I mean, he's he's incredible. I don't even,
1: you know. there's there's so much there and and the the groove is so strong and the energy is so strong and um and that was the thing too you know relatively it, it was it's not like a theater or a big performing arts center it's a club and so you're just standing right in front of this incredible musician and his band and it just kind of washes over you and and uh so i do i do remember that and um Probably, probably the most impactful early um, early gig that I went to, which is probably after I'd been in New York for a few months, was going to the Vanguard. And uh, every every December, um, Jackie McLean would have um, a week there with Cedar Walton, David Williams, and Billy Higgins. And so I would wait outside, it was, I think it was usually in December, I'd wait outside, you know, for an hour so I could be the first one in there and sit either right in front of Billy Higgins' um, bass drum or right there on the on the banquette drummer's row and check him out. And that was, I'll never forget that that
0: feeling and that sound and, and the impact that had on me. Okay, that's cool, man. So actually going onto at least... Uh, I should ask. Where did you go to university? Did you he come here for that also? Yeah, I went to the new school. Oh, you went to the new school? Okay. I mm-hmm. didn't know that. My mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what was your take on that?
1: It was. I think I mean, I think like for most people, it's it's always a mixed bag. There were some some really positive things that came out of it. A lot of a lot of learning, you know, learning in the classroom, but really just kind of learning. Nav- navigating New York and the scene and being a musician and other musicians, you know, navigating relationship with other musicians. So I, you know, I learned a lot from my experience and, um, you know, you learn a lot even from the challenging things, you learn a lot even from the things that you didn't like about it. Um, so, and I met, you know, I met some really Important people, some lifelong friends, got to be around. You know, what drew me to the new school is, is that the the faculty, um, really, is a part of the history of the music that I love. You know, they they were right there. They were in the classrooms, in the hallways, um, and so just to to be in the same space as these musicians that inspired me so much was was really um,
0: really important. Okay, and what could you honestly tell me what is something that people misunderstand while they're in the university setting versus the real world? Mm-hmm. Specifically for music, or just yeah. generally, just like music.
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, I I probably had tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just um, I, I think generally speaking you need to know that there's, you you can't get everything from the university experience. Um, And if you expect uh, like a complete education in this music or a complete um, introduction to this music just from school, you're going to be missing a lot of stuff. You know, you have to go hear live music you have to interact with um, the elders. You have to interact with your peers. You have to learn how to get out there and do a session or go to a jam session or try to get a gig or be on a gig and get yourself there and make sure you know the, the music. All, all those kind of real life and real career applications of of what you're learning in school you have to go out and actually um you know test drive them so to speak so just understanding that university is is can be a part and can be a very valuable part of your overall um, development as a musician as an artist but you can't you can't expect it to be everything you can't expect to just go to class and do the work and, and do what you're told and do your four years and, and walk out of there um, with, with everything that you need. So it's, it's a tool and it can be a really helpful tool and a really um, important tool in, in, in your life and in, in your music, but you have to be doing other things as well.
0: What would you tell an 18-year-old that says to you, I'm just about to start music as a profession, like jazz in Pacific? What advice would you give them? Hmm. Let me
1: think about that. It's like on the one hand, so much, and then on the other hand, Nothing. (laughs) I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely have, have learned that for each individual, there is a different path. So that's, that's something that can be really inspiring about a creative pursuit is that you, um, make your own path. It's not as kind of set up as, as other professions where it's like, okay, you go to school for this long, you get this degree, you go to one of these companies on a, you know, entry level, you get promoted or tenure, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is, there's kind of a path there that if you follow these steps, you get to a certain place. Um, you know, I, it's been my experience that, that everyone is different and being a creative artist also means you have to be creative at life in general. And so you have to find what path works for you and what's useful for you, what's, what's helpful and, and what's, also, and also what's, what's healthy for you. Because um, ultimately it's, it's your life and you want to make the most of it and have it be fulfilling and you don't want to be sad or upset or, or really struggling um just because you think you need to be doing this or need to be doing that so i think i mean that's that's the big thing i think i think a lot of younger musicians are kind of looking for a template and i understand that i i'm sure i did the same thing um and I think it's important to get information and draw inspiration from the people that have done it before you. But ultimately, you're going to have to kind of figure out your own path. So, be focused, be disciplined, but also be open to opportunities that you might not have thought were the ones for you or the ones you were looking for, and and see where they lead. Um, okay. So that that would be that'd be the main thing. Be be focused, but also Open-minded.
0: My next question is: How did you end up working with Anthony Braxton? So, Anthony Braxton,
1: um, for a long time, was was teaching at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. And as I mentioned, I've known Taylor Ho Bynum, uh since since our high school days and he went to Wesleyan. And so when, when he was at Wesleyan and I was at the new school, we were playing together a lot, both uh, here in New York and in, in Connecticut. And so through Taylor, I, I met, um, I met Anthony and over the years um, have had the great um, honor of, of getting to play, play some music with him and also just, hear him live and also be in his presence he's a really incredible person to talk to as well um always very inspiring and so that's that's been a really special relationship over the years whenever i have an opportunity to to be around him really really inspiring okay and and people like Taylor and and Mary Halverson and people that I play with a lot have spent a lot, a lot of time. I mean, Taylor and Mary have played with Braxton so much um, and have gotten so much out of it on a creative and personal level. And so I've been fortunate to, to have a few
0: experiences with him myself. Mm -hmm. So how did you get involved in Broadway?
1: Um, that was, so that's kind of along the lines of, of the advice question of being focused, but open. Um, a friend of mine told me about an open audition for the show Stomp and told me the audition process is, is quite fun. You know, it's basically like a percussion ensemble workshop. It's almost like a workshop, you know? So even if you don't get in, it it can be kind of a fun and and creative experience. So I went down, you know, it's an open audition. So everyone, you know, you don't have to be a union member or anything like that. Everyone went down and auditioned and, and I was fortunate enough to to get in and then had to, you know, make a fairly challenging decision to kind of follow this path, um, which was pretty different from the one I had been on for a few years in New York, but felt like an opportunity that I couldn't turn down and the experience that I really wanted to have. Um, So, so I did it. I, I toured, toured with Stomp um, all over the world and also did it in New York. And then, um, you know, when it was time for me to get back to some other things, I, uh, you know, I left, but I really, really, was so thankful for that opportunity and that experience, and I learned a lot. You know, I was around a lot of really creative people, and um, it was it was a really unique experience and, and also a great learning experience. But that's that's about it. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't at all say. I guess the only other thing I've done was um, with Broadway was sub uh, on drums for the uh, Broadway show Fela about the the life of Fela Kuti. And that was really incredible because that I love that music. And so the opportunity to play, um, with the band, a lot of members of Antibalas, a lot of old friends was really, really special because like I said, I love that music and those musicians really know the music and to get to step in there for a handful of shows was great. And, um, the dancers were incredible, you know, to be able to play for amazing dancers. It was Bill T. Jones's choreography, which is incredible. Um, Patty LaBelle did the show for a few months. So to get to perform with her was in- amazing. Um, but that was, you know, that was just a handful of shows.
0: And Understood. I mean, yeah. a lot of jazz musicians, when they're not really gigging, they are mm-hmm. in the pits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a lot more than. Two. Yeah,
1: I never did that. I never. I know. I've never done that. Um, but, uh, but like I said, those two experiences were were you know really meant a lot. With, with Failout, we were on stage, we were in costume, we were really interacting with the the uh, actors and dancers, and and that was a lot of fun as well. Okay, so you. But that music pay- is incredible, That's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had my my polyester shirt on with the with the. Spread collar. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, we were full on. It was, it was fun. I mean, I love, I love that music. I love, Tony Allen is one of my favorite drummers. So to get to play, you know, all, all of those grooves was, was really great, you know, and it's one thing to kind of learn them and practice them, but to get to play them with, with the full, full
0: band was, was really special. Okay. So tell me a kind of Broadway. Tell you what, a con like something you didn't like about it, if you're willing.
1: Oh, um, I mean, like I said, you know, subbing for Out, that was just—I I wouldn't even consider that. It, it was like I—that was a gig I had maybe once or twice a month for for about a year, a year and a half. So it wasn't even like I had to do. It, 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 it wasn't like a job, or it didn't take up a bunch of time. It was like, yeah, I had some gigs, and when they needed a sub on drums. If I was free, I would go to the theater and, and do a show. Um, in terms of Stomp, which obviously was, was a full-time commitment, um, you know, I, I have a lot of interest in a lot of things I wanted to do. So some things had to um, be paused for a little bit. I don't know if that's a, a big con. I mean, that's just life. You can't do everything all the time in life and so was pretty physical so you you get you get banged up so you got to take care of your body and deal with some injuries and um but i mean i have no complaints really really thankful for both of those experiences and i don't think i had to deal with any kind of uh it never felt mundane or tedious i mean i, I always said with with stomp i had such a Positive experience that once, once I if I ever got to the point where I was there and just kind of going through the motions and taking it for granted, it was more than time to leave and and let someone else have that job that would really love it and and uh, cherish it.
0: Okay, that's a fair enough answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do you think Jazz will be in ten years? Hmm.
1: I have no idea um, it's it's hard for me to I don't really pay attention necessarily to to um, trends in a way um, you know some people maybe like to put things on a timeline or say this was what was happening five years ago. This was what was happening 10 years ago. This is where we're going. You know, I kind of get to stuff when I get to stuff and I really do see everything as, as um, just a big mix of stuff. You know, people are, people are making all kinds of music. Um, I'm constantly inspired by, by stuff I hear and, I think, like I said earlier, even if I hear something that I don't like, I think that can be informative and clarifying too, in terms of why I don't like something and 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 um, the fact that I won't do something like that with my music. So it's 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 really hard to say. I, I I think there are obviously a lot of great musicians out there. I hope that there continue to be opportunities for as many of them as possible. I hope that we have. More opportunities, not less, and more venues, not less, and more funding, and not less. I, I I now teach a little bit the new school. I see some of these young musicians just starting out and just getting out of school, and I and I hope that they have opportunities to get their music heard. And um, but in terms of stylistically or what the trends are, I have I have no idea and sometimes there's certain things that are, are trends in the, in the jazz world, or you might see them, see something at festivals a lot or on magazines a lot. And it really has nothing to do with, with what I'm trying to do. So I I, I don't even necessarily think about it in terms of this is what jazz is now versus what jazz was 10 years ago or will be in 10 years ago. Everyone's kind of,
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So if yeah. you could remove all the barriers and constraints, what would be your dream project and who would be on it? Oh wow. Um
1: well I'm going I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna give you two answers. One of them is very simple and the other one is Probably a cop out. <laughs> oh, boo. Yeah. Well, very, very simply, uh, I, I would love to work with Wayne Shorter, who is such a hero of mine, and and the cop out answer, but 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 one that I really believe is is I'm really working with dream musicians. Um, to me, it's less about someone that I that seems unattainable or not within my my circle, you know, someone like Wayne Shorter, who I've, I've never met, it's, it's less about that and more about kind of cultivating the relationships that you have and, and trying to make something personal. And I feel really fortunate to get to work with super creative musicians, but also more importantly, people that I um, feel very strongly about, that I really respect, that I feel are, you know, um, good people and people that I want to spend my time with not just making music, but on tour and traveling. And, and, um, and so I, I, I feel, I feel very lucky. I mean, there are all, there are always other musicians out there and other things you'd like to do, but, but at the same time, I feel so so fortunate to get to work with the people I, I get to work with and I never take that for granted. And certainly after the last two years, you know, that was really, um, really showed how, how fortunate I am in so many ways to get to, to make music with the people I get to make music with.
0: Okay. Well, sir, was that, was that all right? <laughs> no, that was not really a full cop out. So I give you that. <laughs> okay, okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. But yeah, before we go, you normally uh-huh. like to give a shout out or show respects to the artists who came before us. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you an instrument and two artists choose okay. one and tell us why on trumpet okay. Dave Douglas mm-hmm. or a toto Sandoval wow um,
1: i mean i have a lot of respect for for both of them i you know i i would probably i would probably pick dave just because i'm more i'm more familiar with his music um just, just a familiarity thing. No, no other reason. Obviously, they're both um, incredible musicians and have made incredible music. But I'm just a little more, a little more familiar with, with Dave's music.
0: Okay. And saxophone, Lester Young, or Coleman Hawkins. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I mean.
1: Yeah, probably with most most of these, it's it's gonna be less about thinking one is better than the other or anything like that, and more about my personal experience um, with their music. And and so for me, uh Lester Young is is just someone that I've I mean, I've listened to a ton of both of them, but um but Lester Young is is one of the first musicians that I kind of listen to constantly um and so
0: it was was a big inspiration but both of them i mean okay on beats esperanza uh-huh. Spartan or linda o <laughs> wow. um
1: i mean again two great musicians doing really cool work um I guess I will take Linda because I uh I just I just heard her um yeah, I just heard her recently and um it was a further reminder of of how great she is, but obviously they're they're both they're
0: both great. Okay. Oscar Peterson or Bill Evans on Keys. Hmm.
1: You know, what's funny about that one is, is I love, I love both of them. And then they were, you know, Bill Evans was my entry point to Paul Motion and Oscar Peterson was my entry point, uh, to Ed Thickpen. And so both of those drummers are drummers that I spent, you know, had some, some periods of my life of doing like that really big deep dive into their playing and checking out all their recordings and, you know, um, but uh I don't know, you can't go wrong. I mean you can't go wrong with any of these musicians you've you've mentioned. Uh I will go with with Oscar Peterson.
0: That's fair. And on drums. This one you gotta give me an answer. Okay? I didn't I didn't on the other ones? No, the no, other ones did. I got. Okay, all right.
1: You <laughs> You're you giving me some tough ones. Elvin Jones. All right, uh-huh or Buddy Rich. That actually might be the easiest one <laughs> that you've given me. I mean, Al- Alvin for me it's it's Alvin. Obviously Buddy Rich is phenomenal and and incredible. Um but for me Alvin is is top 5 influence. Um you know, just yeah, I mean it's going to be I would go so far as to say Alvin over every other musician <laughs> you've named in, in this, uh, in this, in this poll. I mean, he's just, he's just so, so far up there, not just even as a drummer, but just as a musician. So okay, surprisingly, that was the easiest one for me. I failed on that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you can't go wrong with Buddy Rich. I love Buddy Rich and and actually the, the first album that I heard that made me want to play drums was Rich versus Roach. Uh, you know, Buddy Rich versus Max Roach. So, you know, he was one of the two first drummers I heard that made me want to play drums. So obviously, you know, I have a lot of love for him as well.
0: Okay, man. Well, can you tell everybody your social media, your website, your events that are coming up recent? I mean, soon. And mm-hmm where they can find your album. Great. Um, So I'm not really much on
1: social media. I have a website, which is tomofujiwara.com. You know, the next big thing, as you mentioned that I have coming out, is the new Triple Double album, which is out on March 4th. I'll be doing a a four-night residency at The Stone in Manhattan that week. So um, Wednesday... What is that? Wednesday, March 2nd, I'll be playing duo with cellist Mario Roberts, uh, Thursday, March 3rd, I'll be playing trio with Patricia Brennan, uh, the vibraphonist and the bassist Jorge Rotor. And then Friday, March 4th, triple double will actually do a CD release, um, gig of all the, all the music on this new album. And then, uh, Saturday, March 5th, the, um, Collective trio Thumbscrew with guitarist Mary Halverson and bassist Michael Formanek and I will be playing music from an album that's coming out in the fall and also kind of celebrating our, um, basically our 10 year anniversary as a group, which is, which is exciting for us. So I'll be at the Stone that first week in March and, um, and this album comes out March 4th. Those, those would be the, the main things. Okay, man. Well,
0: thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, everyone go try to check out his stuff when you can. Oh, and
1: you said where to find it. The album is on uh, Firehouse 12 Records. Uh, So firehouse12.com They sell from their site. They sell on Bandcamp. Um, So I
0: hope everyone will check it out. Okay, Bandcamp it is. Well, everyone, this is Leander Young from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.